Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we travel to the Bermuda Triangle in search of missing RPGs. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. I uh, I feel like uh, we kind of have this Sunday morning, you know, political talk show yeah, energy going. Right. It's a real Algonquin circle between the two of us right now. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My <laughs> name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by oh, my co-host, NPR here. Mark Mitchell. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, you know, sometimes, sometimes the vibes need to change. I didn't commit to it though. I started, I started with a very like mellow and then it was like, that's not the energy of the show. The energy of the show is a little bit more bombastic. We settle into a, a Sunday morning groove. Um, I liked it though. It's yeah, like switching yeah, things yeah. up, keeping things fresh, keeping the listeners on their toes. Hopefully, you know, nobody was, um, driving along and, and- immediately fell asleep. <laughs> This uh, and and this is something that uh, now when I reflect on it, it, it makes me feel like I was being more of a jerk than I thought I was at the time. But something that I used to like to do when I was doing plays in high school and college was just do one thing, like kind of different in a like a sort of big way, um, just on every, every performance, and you know just to like have it be a little bit more spontaneous or whatever. Um, but I'm also certain that it freaked some actors out. Right. That like I would do I would wait a little bit longer to come out or, you know, whatever. And like someone's blood pressure was like, (laughs) what was your favorite play that you ever did? Play or musical? Oh, I think a favorite musical I ever did was uh, uh, Wendy McLeod's The House of Yes, um, which uh, is just a, a, a. I don't know that I can describe the play on this show. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, did this in high school? No, I did it in college. Oh, okay. Um, and we did it in like a so it's it's a story of um, two uh, twins who are sleeping together but have grown up in this house and they do sexual role play around the Kennedy assassination, <laughs> and, and it's it's messed up. Um, but the uh, we did it in like a an immersive like house theater environment uh-huh. so like it wasn't in a theater it was in a a house um so people were just like around watching this thing unfold um and it's you know it's an upsetting it, the subject matter is upsetting and it's even further upsetting when like you're just there in the house while it's happening um but it's a great show it was made into a movie uh, at one point with um parker posey and freddie prince jr um and it's great i've never heard of this ever and i'm a big freddie prince jr head I, I, Mark, I know this about you. <laughs> um, what are we talking about? A less upsetting, my copy of Sonic Forces. Would you like to borrow it? Uh, you can certainly get on a list to do so. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com and give us a mailing address so we can send you my copy of Sonic Forces. Do not send it to that forbidden house of yes. Um, uh, I, I, I send you my copy. You play it for as long as you want. You send it back. I pay for postage both ways. 
It's the perfect borrowing program. It is the perfect program. Another thing you can do is you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it so much. If you leave us a five-star review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, we'll give you a shout-out on the show because we can see that you did so. If you leave us a review anywhere else, we still really appreciate it, but we can't tell that you did. So send right. us an email, hit us up on Twitter, let us know, and we'll give you a shout-out. I mean, and we are working on the technology to see when you leave us five-star reviews. The best people are on it. We, we have top men on it, it. Will this be incredibly invasive to your privacy? Yeah, uh, yes. Possibly. Ab- ab- no, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> it's don't a guarantee. Don't, don't soft pedal it, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guarantee. But we want to give those shout-outs. Right. Um, but uh, you can just uh, let us know when you've done that. It's we, easier that way. to invade your privacy. Um, all right, Mark, uh, let's get into our topic at hand. Let's discuss some RPGs that haven't made it to Switch yet. And before we like dig into what those like what games we have brought to the table that we want to see come to Switch, that's the idea here, right? Games that we want to see. Um, let's just talk about like kind of why we're doing this, right? Um, and I think I, we were sort of kicked, uh, sort of uh, clued into like, hey, old RPGs are coming to Switch. Um, it's been happening for a little while, but Chrono Cross is sort of like the big one that made us go like, hold on, this is like a thing. Well, it's exciting. It's a movement. Well, yeah, also that it's exciting. Um, but we've got this. We've got uh, Live Alive coming out in July. Um, Nintendo just announced that uh, the release date of Chrono, nope, of Xenoblade Chronicles 3 uh, is uh, like four months earlier as they move it from September to uh, July as well. Um, but just, you know, the Switch has like a. That's a, two months, right? September, July, August. Two months, yep. <laughs> um,. But the, 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 these aren't the only. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Xenoblade is a, a new RPG, obviously coming to the coming to the system. But we have so many sort of classic RPGs that are showing their face on Switch, right? We've got uh, the first three Dragon Quest games. We've got Final Fantasy seven, eight, nine, ten, ten two, twelve. Um, obviously, the aforementioned Chrono Cross. And, uh, you know, the, the Saga games all were collected at one point. The Secret, the uh, Saiken Nensetsu, Secret of Mana games all collected over there. Um, there's a lot, just a lot of these games, um, but not all. Mark, not all of these games. Um, would So do, do you have any, like, uh, like overarching, like, are, are there games that came that you thought would be fun that you have just not picked up? Or, like, what what is your relationship to classic RPGs as it pertains to them being on Switch? Man, I am really glad that there are so many on Switch. I wish I had more time. Like, I genuinely would like to go back to Final Fantasy VIII yeah. and give it, an, like, another shot. Like, really put some time into it. Well, especially because the version that's on Switch right now is the one that's on, like, all the other modern platforms, which is a... It's not a remake, but it is like a more aggressive remaster than the seven and nine, the versions of seven and nine that are also on the platform. And, you know, like with a lot of these, they add some quality of optional quality of life features. Like you can speed up the battles or you can turn off random encounters, like all that kind of stuff, which also would 
could and like level up wait. stuff where like you just get a bunch of experience points or you're just more powerful in battles or whatever. Yeah, which can kind of like help smooth over some of the rougher edges of these. So, uh, but yeah, like you're saying, like no matter how much is out there, there's I'm still greedy for more, even knowing yeah, yeah. that I'm never ever going to be able to play all of the RPGs on Switch that I want to play. Right. I mean, like I'm never even going to be able to play all of the Final Fantasy games on the Switch that I would want to play. But that doesn't mean that I'm not like ravenous for, like in particular, more Final Fantasy games. Um, but so I think I think that's one of the things that we need to get out of the way right right away. I feel like there are three big obvious ones here, all from the Super Nintendo that uh, should be on Switch. They're not on Switch, and it's a crime, but let's just put them out here as table stakes. These games are Final Fantasy 2 slash 4, Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, and Chrono Trigger. And, you know, we've seen uh, Final Fantasy 4 and 6 on the Super Nintendo Classic Edition. No, just 3 and just 3 slash 6. 4 is Oh, not. okay. But Chrono Trigger is it's on? also not. Oh, no. okay. Um, yeah, that's so. And, and Chrono Trigger did, you know, it frequently has like mobile ports and it had a um, PC port. And like had, within had the a past PC five port years. not that long ago. Um, and Final Fantasy four slash two. I mean, first of all, there's uh, the after years as well. So there's like a, a, a like a sequel ish to Final Fantasy four. Um, and then there was the remake of it on DS all those years ago. So like. They do keep kind of like churning that one, uh, like resurfacing that one. Um, and obviously there are the uh, Pixel remasters um, that have been coming out on mobile and PC over the last year. Um, but there has not, not been any uh, news or even whispers of them coming to consoles yet. Even though like, why would they not? Yeah, I, I mean, of it, it is really surprising to me that Chrono Trigger hasn't made it yeah. to Switch. Only because even if it's a bad version, it's still going to sell a ton of copies. I would buy it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. It. I think they do need to make sure that it's not a bad version. One of the, you know, I. I know. I. I understand the like. Even if it's a bad version, but um, you know, Final Fantasies four, five, six, and Chrono Trigger were all released on the original PlayStation back in the day as part of uh, these like Final Fantasy anthologies. Um, two separate collections, and I can't remember which was which and uh, what their names were and which games were collected together. But I do know that because they were all uh, Super Nintendo or Super Famicom games now suddenly being put on disc that they had these horrendous load times so that like anytime you opened a menu or uh, went into a battle, there was like an honest-to-God like 10 seconds of just like waiting for it to happen, whereas obviously the cartridges would happen immediately. Um, so they do have to make sure that they're versions that work. You know what well, I mean? Well, and I do think, oh, sh yes. And yeah. I do think that when, my memory is that when uh, Chrono Trigger was originally released for PC, it was um, not a great port. Yeah. And so they had to do some work to like patch it and fix it. And it's, Square Enix has this weird uh, tendency these days to uh, mess up the fonts in their games. Um, like, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the, uh, Final Fantasy Pixel remasters, but they have this very like narrow font that is not in like the 16-bit aesthetic. It's just like an ultra slick, um, but too small to read font. Um, like I just like optimize it for TVs, right? <laughs> and also like why not have the text in the same format as the 
and maybe it's just more restrictive or I, you know, that is probably what it is, is that's a, a spacing timing thing. Um, that's so weird to me that yeah. Final Fantasy, uh, the font thing's super weird because like, it just seems like it would be obvious <laughs> that you would want yeah. that to be optimized. But the Final Fantasy four has not been released recently. Yeah on like Nintendo platforms is really weird to me. I mean, he here's the thing that is truly weirder that final fantasy three is on the super NES switch online. That is, it's incredible. I'm glad it's there. It's a, for me, a formative part of the super NES library, but like square Enix has not been playing ball with like putting their stuff, especially their legacy stuff on um, like subscription or like free stuff. Like, it's it's weird to me that they did do it, and maybe it's because they also had the original Final Fantasy on the uh, NES Classic Edition. Um, but yeah, it's just it's uh it, it's weird to me that they're playing ball at all. Um, Mark, we've come up with a couple RPGs that have not made their way to Switch. Did you put your any parameters on yourself? So the um. No, I did not. Mm. These are, although it ended up being, I think, all games that have shown up on an on a Nintendo platform in some form or another, and the majority of these, I have not played, and that is part of the reason why I want them. Yeah, is because they're classic RPGs for the most part that I want to get my hands on. Yeah, well, I I assume at some point we are going to uh, dip our toes into the Dragon Quest franchise. Um, but there are so many of those that are like, you know, weird to access in, you know, whatever uh, format, uh, just they, they get, they often get stranded on uh, older hardware and a lot of them don't get like localized right away or, or whatever. So there's, there, there's a lot there. Um, so I, I, I would say that I also didn't, uh, I didn't intentionally put any parameters on myself, but I think a lot of them are. Uh, you know, featured on on Nintendo platforms at, at one point or other or another. Mark, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Yeah, I'm actually going to start with one that maybe one of the few that I have played that is on my list and kind of a gimme. I feel like, but it is Paper Mario Thousand Year Door that was yes. originally released for the Nintendo GameCube. So I recently replayed Paper the original Paper Mario game that was released on Nintendo Switch Online for the Nintendo 64. And I really enjoyed it. It did open my eyes to the kind of like flaws of these, of like Paper Mario, but also kind of like unlocked memories of playing Thousand Year Door yeah. and being like, oh yeah, there's quite a bit of backtracking in this and the backtracking is not super fun. Right. Um, but Paper Mario Thousand Year Door is really well regarded and part of it is just because the little vignettes within it are so inventive and fun. Plus, the characters are just, like, a blast. You have so many, like, fun companions, like the punk Yoshi, like, baby Yoshi. Uh, there's this whole sequence where, you know, you're basically, like, a luchador and you are fighting your way up. Um, there's a mystery on a train. Like, it's just uh, every such a good example of what Paper Mario can be. Yeah, like that sense of humor and just like the, the richness of character. 
And I have liked, I mean, really, the only Paper Mario game that I've played since then all the way through is Paper Mario The Origami King that was released on Switch a couple of years ago. And I really liked The Origami King. I had a really good time with it. But um, it's difficult to not compare other Paper Mario games to Thousand Year Door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, then that sort of is like the... There's always a little, like, divide, uh, even from the beginning, between uh, Paper Mario and, like, other, like, a sort of classic JRPG. Um, and I feel like that divide uh, starts to widen after Thousand Year Door and never st- stops widening. Um, so, I, yeah, I just feel like that Thousand Year Door is where it's, like, still kind of playing by the rules of what makes regular RPGs fun and engaging and, like, feel deep. Um, but while also being, you know... Paper Mario. Yeah. I've never played Thousand Year Door. It's, it is. I mean, it's really good. I am sure that I haven't played it for, at this point for probably like 15 years. Yeah. And I'm sure if I did, if I revisited it like I did the original Paper Mario, you know, I it is a game from like 20 years ago. Right. Like, I right, think right. the flaws would reveal itself. But the strengths of Paper Mario, of the Paper Mario franchise, so even the lesser entries, um, which like include, like in my opinion, like Super Paper Mario... I didn't love but the strengths of even the lesser games are the writing and the characters and the funny just like throwaway dialogue yeah and thousand year door has all of that it has amazing characters has amazing writing plus really just like strong like you were saying core rpg mechanics yes and to be the last time that paper mario was to my mind ever like a real like rpg right not to be too snobby about paper about uh, RPGs, but like I agree with you, um, and I, I think you and I are a, maybe a strange case for this because I think we like our RPGs to be real RPGs, but we don't want them to be so real that they're like Xenoblade games. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what yes. you mean. Like, look, I don't want my numbers to be tiny little baby numbers, but I also don't want to deal 10,000 damage, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so I'm also going to, uh, for, for my first selection here, um, I'm also going to choose a uh, Nintendo published game. Um, one from not that long ago, Fire Emblem Awakening. There is one real Fire Emblem game on the Switch, and it's Fire Emblem Three Houses. It's a great game. Um, it does such a uh, good job of like recontextualizing how you deal with your uh, units and how you build relationships with them. Um, but the romance element of uh, previous Fire Emblem games, and particularly Fire Emblem Awakenings, not present, right? You're the teacher. You shouldn't be romancing your students. I think we can agree. <laughs> um, but you do take them to tea, so I don't know. I don't know what's happening in, in Three Houses. But in Awakening... The, the game is built on a, um, a, a time travel mechanic, right? So uh, your characters pair up and have children, and your children visit you from a doomed future um, and help you battle the you know, evil that ruins the, their world, right? Um, and the way that you build relationships in any Fire Emblem game is you know by making them do like little things together in between missions, you know, little like side side game, uh, mini game sorts of things, uh, but also just like have them fight together. Um, if you have uh, units fight side by side, um, they will uh, 
both assist each other in battle and sort of level up their relationship to each other. And when you level them up high enough, they can have kids together. Um, and like that affects the stats of the characters. I don't know. It's just, a, it's, it's a, a fascinating thing to um, be building relationships with an eye towards what their offspring are going to be able to like do for you. Um, and just like knowing uh, like, oh, okay, like this character is going to have uh, this child and this character is going to have this child. If I pair them up, then they can have, then these two will be siblings. So they'll have like a deeper bond when they're together. Um, and just all of it, the, the, the characters, the character designs in Awakening are just awesome. Um, they're, I would say may, they're on par with um, the great character designs in Three Houses. Like, Three Houses has so many like unique sort of like vibrant evocative character designs um, and Awakenings does it uh, as as good or better. Um, and well, while the game is not that far in the rearview mirror, it's a, a 3DS game. Uh, it's still like 10 years old or something at this point. Um, so, yeah, like I, I just I want it to be on Switch. That'd be fun. I've never played Fire Emblem Awakening before. Um, it's great. My next pick is a Wii game. That was released in Japan in 2011 and finally made it to North America in 2012 after much work. And that is The Last Story. Tell me about The Last Story. Okay, so this is a... It was uh, developed by Mistwalker, but published by Nintendo. Mistwalker is, was, I think still is the company um, of the original creator of Final Fantasy, uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi. And um, he you know, had done Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey. Uh, you know, Blue Dragon was on the Xbox 360. Oh, yes. Microsoft okay, really sure, making yes. a play, you know, for Japan. And so uh, the idea was to create this very Dragon Quest-esque game. Um, not, I, Sakaguchi, like, not really has ever really found, like, a ton of success post- Final Fantasy. Yeah. But Lost the last story is supposed to be really, really good. Um, it features music from Final Fantasy composer Nobuo Uematsu. Um, and this was a game that, when it was released in Japan, was well-regarded. It's now considered a kind of a lost classic. Because while Nintendo published it in Japan, and I believe Europe, they did not bring it to the U.S. This was part of Project Rainfall, which um, you may recall was, or Operation Rainfall. I can't remember which, I think it's Operation Rainfall, which was basically like there was The Last Story and Pandora's Tower, which okay. were games that Nintendo published in Japan and for Wii. And was it like an, an, an attempt to like legitimize the platform it, or like reclaim core audience? So Op Operation Rainfall was a fan-driven thing. Okay. Where Nintendo was not, this was the end oh. of the Wii era when, like, Nintendo for a long time, at the end of the Wii era, it was like a game drought. I yeah. don't, I think yeah. internally they had probably moved their focus to HD development, which was like all companies saw a huge jarring shift when trying to shift to HD, but Nintendo did it a generation after everybody else. Right. Part of the reason, like, stuff that affected the Wii U. And so since they had put all their resources to that, the Wii just kind of like dried up. There were not a ton of releases for the Wii, but they had these games in Japan that, you know, like Nintendo fans in America were like, why are you not just localizing these and bringing them? So it was a fan campaign to get some of those games over. 
Uh, I think Xseed ended up developing the or releasing the last story in the U.S. So Nintendo, this was a Nintendo like published game everywhere except North America, where a third party ended up bringing it over. I mean, that's the weirdest part is that Nintendo would let another party publish. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, it was it's was it's difficult to remember now. Like, yeah, ten years ago, but the end of the Wii era like beginning of the Wii U era was a very challenging time for Nintendo because the Wii had lost all of its momentum essentially. Yes. And they were teeing up the Wii U, which would have a tortured launch. The 3DS had had just come out and also had a tortured launch. Right. And so... And the the 3DS would eventually write itself, basically. Kind of because they would like... Kind of because they had to, yeah. Yeah, they like... people didn't want to make games for the Wii U because they weren't selling there, yeah. So the last story, supposed to be an amazing RPG, I have never played, and it's incredibly difficult and expensive to get today because it was on Mm. the Wii, so it was never available digitally. It was released by Xseed. You know, it was not like a big Nintendo release. It happened at the end of the Wii's lifetime, so it's not like there were a ton of copies that just flooded game stores and are floating around. This is one I would love to play. This is one I'd love to get my hands on. Um, That's a good pull. Uh... I would also love to get my hands on that game. Uh, Mark, can I go outside of the, the world of Nintendo? I want to I talk about a game that was only released on PlayStation back in the day. Um, had a sequel and then has really just been a dormant property uh, for two decades. Uh, and I'm, ref- I'm referring to the Square Enix classic Parasite Eve. Mark, are you familiar with Parasite Eve? I've never played it. I'm most familiar with Parasite Eve through its like pseudo sequel the um what was it like the third birthday or something like that oh I don't know the third birthday I might have the name wrong but I'm like I've never played it but I'm kind of familiar with Parasite Eve so Parasite Eve uh originally drew me in as a, a Resident Evil obsessed kid um because it had uh, like the the look of, of the models in Parasite Eve looked like the early Resident Evil characters to me. Um, and, you know, it ta- has like a modern setting and it's spooky ghosts and like cops that are fighting spooky ghosts. Um, and uh, yeah, are they actually ghosts? No, but neither were the zombies. So like hang with me here. Um, but it, it also it had a um, a turn based combat, uh, you know, like like Final Fantasy style um, system that uh, was a kind of a disappointment to me when I first tried to play it as a kid because I wanted it to be Resident evil But now I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I, I want to get into that. I want to play through uh, this kind of stuff and, like, be shooting guns at uh, mutant dogs and, and, and stuff like that. The game has this I- impossibly cool opening sequence. Mark, have, have you ever seen this thing? I don't think so. Um, so it takes place at, like, uh, an opera. Um, and y- you're like a member of the NYPD. You're at this big opera, opera house. Um, uh, your character is uh, wearing like a-, a-, a ball gown, but is also like you know strapped, like has <laughs> has has her uh, uh, gun on her. Um, and uh, you're in the audience, and this uh, you know the the diva is singing, and it's a very um, you know like Fifth Element kind of scene um, until uh, people start 
spontaneously combusting, bursting into flames. And it's clear the the performer is still singing, uh, maybe is making every, all of this happen, and the whole building goes up in flames. Whoa! And you have to battle your way out as these like that sounds so cool creatures uh, like come upon you. It's a very like it, it's lumpy as heck. I've never beaten this game, um, and I'm sure it's not very well balanced. Um, but like, it just has that incredible opening sequence. I want to know what other cool <laughs> secrets are in this game. Yeah, um, yeah, this is a series wrapped in so much mystery to me. Uh, do you know what? So I looked it up. The third birthday was a game that was released in um, 2010 in Japan, and it's a. It was a for the PSP, and it is both the third entry in the Parasite Eve series, but it is also just like apparently a spinoff with very loose connections to the story of the first okay, two. Okay, okay. Um, so I always associate Parasite Eve, and now I don't know if they're related at all, but I always associate it with um, a game called... It's like The Bouncer or something like that. Okay, the and it's another. Yeah, it's no. another like square game. Yeah, Bouncer was PS2 era though. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I, I, Parasite was actually, I, if memory serves me, and it doesn't. Um, that it, uh, Parasite was a late era PlayStation game. Original PlayStation. Original PlayStation. Yeah, I don't know why I associate the two with each other. Maybe it was just because at the I feel like the PlayStation era was such a uh, kind of crazy time for square yeah where you just got like so many maybe because games were not as expensive to develop as they are now but they just took a bunch of shots where they're like oh we're just gonna do this weird like bouncer video game or here's a series based on this not japanese novel parasite eve you know what's interesting is i've I've, I've pulled up the uh, just like the box art for uh parasite eve and um uh, bouncer and they're not dealing in dissimilar color palettes um and like well the character design in bouncer is a lot more like jrpg anime crazy um they're both like seemingly set in like a modern day sort of setting right they're directed by the same person takashi tokita whoa <laughs> maybe that's why maybe that's the connection i associate them with each other. Are you saying you somehow intuited that? <laughs> I don't know. I must have heard it on like Retronauts or something. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I definitely did not know that. But that, um, man, what a what a crazy era for SquareSoft. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like SquareSoft and Square Enix frequently has crazy eras where it's just like, why are they putting out what they put out? Um but that's sort of what I love about them. Like they have a brand, um, but the brand is so wild and so broad that like they can make take these really weird swings. So my next pick is maybe tiptoeing into Xenoblade Chronicles territory. Mark, but how dare you, Mark? How, how am I going to know unless I'm ever ever able to play this game? Yes. And that game is, of course. Batten Kaito's Eternal Wings in the Lost Ocean, released in 2003 for the Nintendo GameCube, developed by our friends Monolith Soft and Tricrescendo, and published by Namco. Yeah. Um, this is a... Wh- what was this released on? GameCube? GameCube. It's, yeah. uh, 2003. So I always think of it as like a late GameCube release, but it wasn't. It was like actually fairly early in its life. Yeah. Uh, so this is a game that neither of us have, have played at all and really only know by reputation. Right. right. I remember like reading and this was, this was actually the era where I was re- reading Nintendo power. Yeah. And I remember 
Batten Kaido's getting quite a bit of coverage and reading like the previews and the reviews, being an ex- being excited for it, but never picked it up. It's a card based RPG, which I don't I don't have a ton of familiarity with like card based combat systems and RPGs. I don't play a lot of games like that. Yeah, no, I mean I definitely don't either. I think the only card based RPG I played was that uh, uh, that bad Mario one, for Color Splash, <laughs> where all, all the combat in there is card based. And I dabbled with Chain of the Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, which I uh, if that's the Game Boy Advance one, uh. which is also has like a kind of like card based combat system. But let me ask you this: yeah. do, do, I, we'll get back to uh, Ben Kaidos in a second. Um, did did you put any Kingdom Hearts games on this list? Because they're sort of on the Switch. It, I, I didn't put it on yeah. this list. One of the weird things about Kingdom Hearts is I should really like it. Yeah, but you don't. It should be like really like uh, a Square Enix right. RPG. Yes. You know, JRPG crossed with, you know, like Disney properties. Like, right. But it's also like kind of a little bit of an action game, which is also your jam. Yeah. Like yeah. I should really like it, but have never really had any desire to get into the series. Well, it's just got such I- I- impenetrable lore. We don't need to. But complain. you can start from the beginning. Yeah, but like then you still have to go through all the lore. Like, look, I've listened to enough podcasts uh, from people who know and who have played all the games in the series, who are big fans, who have no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, that like uh, I-, I have no faith in my own ability to discern what's going on. But, in that, these games. but, but that's okay. I mean, I sat, I watched uh, Twin Peaks: The Return. Sure. You know, like knowing what's going on is sometimes overrated. That's true, that the, you're, you are. Making a lot of sense, Mark. Do we need to play through the Kingdom Hearts games? Man, we wouldn't do it on Switch. It would, re- yeah, we would. I because it would be so much more appealing to me if I could like pay forty bucks or whatever for the even the digital version that I owned. Yeah, something about like it being the cloud version. It well, just. Yeah, they, and I can just buy it like for two bucks on any other platform. Right, right, right. <laughs> yes. Uh, they, I mean, they, there are the the latency issues, which were uh, a, a bummer to me, and also just like getting disconnects, um, which is just sort of a feature of cloud based gaming on on Switch, uh, which is too bad. Because um, otherwise, I think we probably would have committed some sort of uh, effort to uh, playing these games. That's right, you did it to yourself, Square Enix. You did it to yourself, Square Enix. Baden Kaidos. So. Uh, another thing that I think is really fun about this or looks really fun about this game is that it, they seem to have fun with the aesthetic. I've seen some like screenshots and some levels where it has this really like cartoony, almost like um, Day of the Dead pinata kind of like aesthetic oh. that is just like really like different and interesting. Um, you know, and so like your regular characters are running through this world and interacting in it. But, and that's just like one area, you know, yeah. a lot of it still has yeah. that, I mean, honestly, what I would say, very similar to Xenoblade Chronicles, you know, type look to it, um, that very classic JRPG look. But yeah, this is a series that's always intrigued me. I um, really, the GameCube era is one full of mystery. Yeah. Because of, of all of my libraries, like growing up as a kid, we probably had the least number of games for the GameCube that weren't a lot of like, you know, licensed games or need for speed or, you know, just like a lot of, we had a lot of like that kind of stuff, but I didn't have a lot of JRPGs. I didn't have 
like a lot of those games in the GameCube era. Yeah, and it just well, feels like I just want it. Yeah, well, and this this was sort of the the wrong era for Nintendo and JRPGs, especially on home console. You, the opposite is true on the handheld side, right? Um, it all it always is, but like you know, Pokemon was the biggest thing in the world, um, and like Square was making games for the uh, for the GBA. Uh, we had the Golden Sun games there, like there's just and uh, Fire Emblem games and Advance Wars, like all of that's over there. Um, but on the console side, yeah, the Nintendo sixty four and GameCube just like didn't have RPGs because it just made more sense to put them on like regular size discs instead of trying to jam them onto a cart yeah. um, or uh, onto uh, a tiny little GameCube disc. Um, my next pull is not going to be the very trolling Quest 64, um, <laughs> which I was going to, I was, I was going to submit it as a, as a total troll move. Do you think Quest 64 comes to the uh, Nintendo 64 Switch online? I could see it. I, uh, I actually genuinely could see it if yeah. it's not tied up in a bunch of like rights issues. Yeah, well, I, I just closed the window I had open for it because I, I decided not not to. I, uh, I have never played Quest 64. I owned Quest 64. One of the reasons I bought a Nintendo 64 uh, originally was because there was a blurb in Nintendo Power about uh, Final Fantasy VII come in development for Nintendo 64. And I was a big Final Fantasy kid at that time and was like, oh, I need to go where that, yeah, I need to go there, right? Right. Uh, and obviously I was rewarded with, you know, Mario 64 and like a million other great games. Um, but like the reason then that I bought a PlayStation was to play Final Fantasy 7. Um, so I was hurting for an RPG. And when Quest, when Quest 64 came out in 1998, I was there. Like I, it just, I, I uh, bought it like first thing. I was excited for this game. It is a real bummer, um, and therefore it's not actually on my list. Um, but like the uh, the combat in the game is so bizarre. It you you can see the enemies on in, like out in the field. You engage them in combat, and then you're in like a an octagon um, like on the field, but like lines are drawn uh, around like your field of play, and you like run around to try to avoid tech attacks from the enemy. And then use the C buttons to like select magic attacks oh. to use, and then otherwise you can like swing up and like hit them with the, with your staff. And it's you're just one character. Um, you don't have a party or anything like that. Um, and it's just it's there's just no real party. Rough. There's no party. You're just one dude. I can actually I believe that in the Nintendo 64 era. Yeah. Well, they had to like minimize the number of models on screen at any given time. If it's you and the enemy, like they're maxing out on polygons. I can genuinely name two off the top of my head, I can name two RPGs. Wow. For Nintendo 64 and it's Quest 64 and, and Paper, Paper Mario. Mario. Yeah. I can't name another one. Oh my god. Yeah, well cuz there's no I don't did Square Enix publish a game on Nintendo 64? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Well, I don't think Squaresoft did, and I don't think Enix did. Yeah, yeah, great point. Um, I mean, if we count Mega Man Legends as an RPG, Mega Man 64, which is a, a port of uh, Mega Man Legends, maybe that counts? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I know that's not Square Enix. That's a Capcom But that's game, so crazy to yeah. have like an entire console generation where we're... The two of us are struggling yeah. to name any RPGs for the system. Mark, that's not my pick here. My pick here is not Quest 64. Uh, my pick here is 
a Nintendo DS game from uh, Marvelous and Grasshopper Manufacture uh, called Con- Contact? Contact. Yes. Is this on your list? It's not on my list, but this is another game that like, ooh, it intrigues me so much. Con- yes, yes, and that and that is that was my relationship with it as well. A game that I found mostly impenetrable as I was trying to play it um, when it first came out. Um, it takes pretty uh, generous advantage of the dual screen uh, like uh, functionality in that the the top screen is like a, a pixelated sixteen bit uh, like professor character who is talking to you, the player, and then you guide um, the hero on the bottom screen. Um, and so, like, you're, you're sort of indirectly controlling him on this, and it's another adventure that takes place in a seemingly modern-day um, setting, uh, and you're, like, laying down, like, stickers and, like, uh, traps and stuff to, like, either aid him or uh, attack the enemies. Um, you know, you're, you're not commanding him to attack specific enemies. You just, like, get him close and equip him, and, like, he does the rest. Um, but it's got a very, like... Um, alienating weird story like the, the the game is you know just by the the it, it's very interface um it's meant to make you feel disconnected from the the protagonist um you're not controlling him and in fact you're not even making decisions this like professor guy is um so it's a weird sort of like trippy experiment which you would expect nothing less from uh, marvelous and grasshopper um and just a really cool, weird, trippy game, and I wish I could play it again. I want to play it on Switch. Well, speaking of kind of like weird, trippy experiments, my next pick from comes from the Game Boy Advance. It's 2003's Boktai, The Sun is in Your Hand. Ah, this is a, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Fell out of my head. Uh Kojima. Yeah, Hideo Kojima. There yeah, we go. Yeah, he's a Ooh. producer of it, I, yes. I believe. So it comes from uh, Konami. Basically, the gimmick of the game is that you are playing Django, a vampire hunter who uses a weapon called the like solar gun, the gun del sol. And the way that you like get ammo for it or charge it is that there's a sensor on the back of the Game Boy Advance cartridge that is powered by the sun. It can sense, you know, when it is getting when it's out in the sunlight. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's just like a tiny little solar panel. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so um, the gimmick is that, you know, you if d- when you start the game, it syncs with like your current time and during when the sun is out, if you have like the energy built up, then you can use this the gun for the vampire hunter. And then at night or and you, when you're out of energy, you can't like attack enemies you have to avoid them you have to find other ways to advance and it's such a weird cool kind of like gimmicky premise that i'm bummed that i never experienced it this is just this is one of those things that like is it fun i don't know but it's such a cool idea (laughs) uh yeah no i i I totally agree with you and the the thing that makes me like a further bum that like it probably wouldn't couldn't make sense on Switch is that Switch doesn't even have a camera on it. Like uh, uh, most other, you know, uh, the uh, recent um, Nintendo handhelds and obviously your phones have cameras on them so they can sense the presence of light. Um, but like the Switch can't. I mean, it, or could, wait, can could, it? Could they use the, well, it, it, it does, it does auto sense dim. the, yeah, it auto yeah. dim is, dims, but that's just like brightness. It wouldn't necessarily be able to tell like the light 
I don't know. Maybe there's a way they could do it. Like yeah. the, the IR sensor on the right Joy-Con or sure. whatever. You, had a you know, if you're like pointing at, at a light source. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I always find that kind of thing so funny. I, I, uh, I was playing um, uh, my PlayStation Vita on a plane at one point, uh, playing the Uncharted game on there, which Golden Abyss is the name of it. Um, and that game is notorious for having like too many of the Vita's like special features like functioned in it. Uh, and one of the things I had to do was hold up a, you know, in the game, hold a piece of paper up to the light to see like some pattern showing through it and then match that up on the walls or whatever, some puzzle like that. Um, and I'm on a plane and I've got my, my Vita and I'm trying to like hold it up to the reading light, <laughs> um, but like just couldn't pull it off. Uh, so I just stopped playing. Um, but you know, not before looking like an absolute maniac holding my game console up to the lights on the ceiling. Yeah. Not as cool as you'd look holding like trying to shine your Joy-Con to get the uh, IR sensor. With the Joy-Con, you could at least do that like surreptitiously, right? The, it fits in your hand. Like, <laughs> you, you, could, just, yeah. you just like hold it up there. Right, like, you're like just you're, trying your stretching or yeah, like, like adjusting to... the, the, the blowing thing. What is that called? What is that little nozzle called? A vent? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, Mark, what a great pull. Um, I'm going to go for like a real, real one now. Like one that I like genuinely want to play i'm angry that i haven't played is a game that is like legendary and just supposed to be great i'm talking of course about dragon quest 5 um it is uh the a game that introduces uh i mean a couple things right um one is that there's a sort of pokemon-esque mechanic where you are capturing um or taming uh dragon quest monsters and making them fight for you but this is also the game where uh it takes place over like generations so you uh your character is uh you know has a relationship has a wife um and you have kids that are um who they are and what they're able to do is determined by what you do earlier in the hero's life um it is uh you know reputationally one of the best dragon quest games uh and you know it's it's been available on what ds and PlayStation 2 was originally a uh, Super Famicom game. I would love a re-release on Switch that just has all of those versions, like, packaged into one. Um, it's just, you know, there there aren't enough Dragon Quest games available on Switch right now. It's 1, 2, 3, and 11. Um, and Builders and Builders 2. And, like, you know, there, there are a handful of, like, other ones. But, like, man... Five just has such a reputation that, like, I just... Mark, I just want to play it. Yeah, Five has a really kind of, like, unique twist in the story that I, I won't spoil. But the way that it, like, handles kind of, you know, the expectations of the hero's journey and the hero's arc, there's just, like, a moment in it when you're, like, oh, that's so cool. I can't, like, what a cool kind of, like, take on that hero's journey and the, the the fact that it is cross generations is such an important part of it. Um, I would love for the, I mean, yeah, like the super Famicom version, but I would love for the, uh, the DS version to make it to switch. There's so many like, um, like those dragon quest remakes. Like I would like, I bought dragon quest seven for the three DS and that was the first time I think it had ever been localized outside of Japan because it is, uh, it's a tome. It's such like a long yes. game that they 
tightened up and changed quite a bit is my understanding for the 3ds remake and i was really excited to play it have never actually done it um but there are yeah i i so i'll i completely agree with dragon quest 5 my dragon quest pick that i have on my list is dragon quest 9 um sentinels of the starry sky which was originally released for the nintendo ds um my first like Dragon Quest game that I played all the way through, and I played it solo. So one of the unique things about Dragon Quest Nine is it's po- or it was possible to play it with people. Yeah, um, it's like designed to be a multiplayer game. I didn't experience it that way. I soloed the entire thing, but it was like such a revelation to me, uh, and such like a fun introduction to what like the virtues of dragon quest just like you know great characters great like really good music incredible um, design yeah incredible design and that i think those dragon quest monsters (laughs) gimme 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 they're so cute yeah you know and just kind of like a fun uplifting really just like uh a good time like you just have a good time a smile on your face while you're playing dragon quest 9 and I think it would benefit so much from, or honestly, like probably a remake in the modern era. Yeah, totally. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be like full 3D. Maybe some like HD 2D. Like but however like it, you want it, to present it, is, it. It is kind of 3D even it, on, it, it on, is, on the DS. But like yeah. it's like I I don't know if there's any you know like upresing of the Nintendo DS that no, would which, salvage yeah. it. But I mean like, that's that, that's that's the the real bummer about. Uh, nine and the the remakes of seven and eight on um uh 3ds that like it it seems like it would be so like such a no brainer to like port them over to modern consoles but like the graphical fidelity of some uh, an asset on the three the ds or the 3ds the gulf between that and the same asset on hd console is just enormous well especially like for eight because they had to eight was originally a playstation 2 game yeah and you know they a pretty expansive PlayStation 2 game. So they kind of had, like, it, the graphic fidelity of the 3DS version, it's impressive that they got it all on there. Right. But, like, the PS2 game is, you know, the better version. Right. Um, as far as graphics go. But 9, like, I think it would be so cool to give it a modern spin. Just, like, make the online connectivity, like, the modern online yeah. connectivity that we all expect nowadays. Like, 10... I know that we're never going to get it in, right, the, you right. know, like outside of Japan. Just we're not even going to get the offline version, yeah, which it, bums me out. It's just, it's just not going to happen. But nine already localized. Yep. Like you know, like a lot of that work that sometimes prevents them being released here has been done, and so just give it a give it an upgrade. That would be so fun to be able to play Dragon Quest with friends. Um, do you think there will ever be a time when? Because Dragon Quest has such a like vaunted reputation in Japan, um, and sells so well in Japan, um, but the reason that it gets so like non reliably localized is that they don't sell that well in in the states or abroad, kind of anywhere. Um, do you think there will ever be a day when like we get when we like catch up and they're like, oh yeah, it only makes sense to make these games available to people? So because I mean, you can't play. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten outside of Japan on modern consoles. Right. That's so many games. That's yeah. most of the games. Well, and I feel like part of the problem is that um, 
you know, so many of them for such a long time were not released here at all. Yes. So it's like nine, Nintendo made a really big deal out of nine. They had commercials with Seth Green. Um, and it sold well. I think it sold over yeah. like a million copies outside and of Japan. And this is uh, this is Austin Powers two era <laughs> Seth Green. Okay, no, 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 it's later. It's later. No, it's later. It's later. Okay. Um, this is robot. This chicken is robot Seth chicken Green. era. Yeah. yeah. Um, did I say robot chicken? Or did I say robot Seth? What did I say? <laughs> I think you said robot chicken. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, so th- so it sold well, but then like we didn't get ten, but and so there was a big gap where all we were getting were these DS and three DS. You know, like remakes but and sort of late in the 3ds life cycle too especially um seven right or well was it seven or eight one of them came really late yeah it must have been eight one of them came late enough that you bought it while we were recording this show that was seven okay so i think they both might have come like i can't i can't remember yeah for sure, sure sure um mark i won't hold you to it <laughs> maybe because maybe seven had been out for a while when i bought it i don't know mm-hmm. that i bought it but yes i remember us talking about it um but yeah so it's like Nine was released, which, but then between that and 11, the only things that were released were remakes of games that, like, people didn't have any affinity for here because it was the first time, right. like, eight, maybe, people had bought it for the PlayStation 2, but it wasn't, like, a big hit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, like, it's a weird franchise because it is so vaunted in Japan, but its history in the U.S. has been so patchy. I think the saving grace for... um the dragon quest series and why i do think we'll continue to see like new entries localized here is just how big gaming in general has become yeah and how international it is Mm -hmm. that i think you know like dragon quest 12 it would not surprise me if they are uh kind of developing with a worldwide audience in mind yeah i would think that you're right Uh, i mean especially considering um like 11 was successful here but not you know, it's it's not in like a, a, a on a blockbuster scale, and it took a ton of effort to get it to it the level it did. A ton of effort, yeah. Well, and like it's so much time. You know, like the 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 original version of it came out, and then the S version came out on Switch, and that was they basically had to rebuild it, uh, and then release the S version on the other platforms, which must have been like a, I don't even know. Did they just like re rebuild it or go back to the? What whatever whatever happened, however they built these things, like Mark says, it's through like great pain um, and treasure certainly that it took them to uh, bring these games out. But I think the the reputation is now set for the next Dragon Quest game to be the one that people pick up. Um, I don't know if that will happen, um, but man, I want it to. I don't think it'll ever be like a huge phenomenon. Yeah. Here, like it's, I don't think it's ever going to do, I mean, never say never, but I don't think it, you know, soon is going to do like Final Fantasy numbers. Yeah. But hopefully it can sell consistently well enough that we don't have to be like, is this going to come out? Like, are we going to get Dragon Quest 12? Right. You right, know, right. that we don't have to question it anymore. I think we are going to get 12. It still bums me out that we're never going to get 10 offline. Um, but what are you going to do? Uh, okay, uh, speaking of 10, Mark, we are on our, our 10th and uh, presumably final entry. Um, but if we if we want to add a couple more, we are totally welcome to. Um, here's a game I don't even know that I necessarily want to see it come to any other platform, but I do want to talk about it. The Sonic Chronicles, The Dark Brotherhood. This is a RPG featuring Sonic the Hedgehog developed by BioWare. Bioware at the height of their powers during the Mass Effect era. Um, it's a Sonic the Hedgehog RPG. Look, should I have said Super Mario RPG? Because that is a game that is missing from the library. 
Maybe. Should I have brought up Secret of Evermore because it's a game I won't shut up about? Yes. However, Mark, let's talk about Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood. The w- This was a Nintendo DS game, right? Yes, And the right. thing that's so weird to me about it is... I want the oral history of how this came about. Yes. It's a Bioware game mm-hmm. of a Sega franchise yes. on a Nintendo platform. Right. And I... The game, by all accounts, is fairly mediocre. Didn't review very well. You don't yep. even hear people talking about it yes. nowadays. I don't even know if it's sold that well. But its existence is such a crazy anomaly anomaly that I want the oral history. I yep. want to understand yep. the genesis of this game. Yeah. Uh, pun not intended, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, it. I mean, I never got my hands on this game. Um it is one that uh, just always sort of like looms in my imagination as like, what? yeah, why not a Sonic RPG, right? Like, they look, put your mascots in RPGs. We like Mario stuff in RPGs. That's fine. Give me a Kirby RPG. I think it'd be fun. It's for as much as like as popular as Sonic is. Yes. And how it basically like remains the uh, mascot for Sega it is so weird to me how underutilized. Why are we not getting some sort of Sega game or Sonic game every year? Yeah, great question. I mean, we probably are. They're just like mobile Like games. Sonic Soccer. Yeah. Sonic, you know, like you're saying, like put them in other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it would be fun. All right. Uh, we've come up with 10 RPGs that should really be on Switch already. Um, Mark, have we left out? Are there anything missing from this list that we should bring up can i mention two real quick yes um skies of arcadia yep never played it no it only by reputation i know that there is a gamecube version give me either one i think they both sold sold really poorly and then the second one is one that i almost have an adversarial relationship with and i feel like i need to play it again just so i can best it and that's final fantasy tactics tactics advance for the game boy advance yes yes um I, for whatever reason, at the time it came out, I can't tell you if this game is truly difficult, but I could not wrap my head around it. And so, but now I'm like, uh, I think if I think if I played it again, I could best it this time. And uh, I really want that opportunity. Um, I will also uh, add two more on onto this list, just uh, quick, quickly in, in the final moments here. Um, let's bundle those Golden Sun games. The, the first two Golden Sun games that are sort of like uh, mirror images of each other. You play as one character and then you play as like, it's almost like a Gaiden game. Um, let's put those on there. I don't love the Golden Sun games. I know uh, I know people go to bat for them, but they seem to sort of like bog standard uh, turn-based RPGs. Someone change my mind if, if you think the uh, Golden Sun games are worth playing right into us. Um, but the other game that I want to shout out here is a game for the Super NES called The Seventh Saga, um, which was an Enix game um, before Square and Enix uh, combined. Um, that is a, a game where you take on the role of one of seven uh, individual heroes. Heroes is maybe a, a loose term for it. Some of them are v- straight villains, um, and they're like, you know, racing to get like treasure in a world where uh, there's evil abound. Um, and you seemingly randomly encounter the other seven heroes or the other six heroes from the one that you pick, um, and you can recruit them or they try to battle you. Um, and they can leave you at any time. They can betray you at any time. Um, it uses an insane amount of Mode 7 uh, graphics. Like when you go into a battle, you're like uh, walking around the world map 
uh, and then the battle starts and it like takes the image of the world map and like spins it around and then you're just like playing on a distorted version of the uh, world map uh, while fighting things. It's very difficult and very slow. Um, but I remember the characters all being cool. There's like a knight. There's a um, a priest who's like a, you know a healing cleric. There's an alien who uses fire magic. There's a robot. Um, it's just uh, it's it's just wild. Like it's pulling from every possible direction. It's just nuts. Um, all right, those are fourteen RPGs. Um, Mark, let's close this out. Did we leave any great RPGs on the table? Probably. Probably what, left a bunch. What are those Nintendo 64 RPGs that were... Um, I don't think there are any. <laughs> that we're missing. There has to be at least one more. Did you did you think about putting... And, and look, we're not counting like Pokemon Stadium or whatever. Um, although, was there like uh, another like Pokemon kind of thing for... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the, and look, there are also a bunch of like Fire Emblem games that could be on here. The uh, Path of Radiance and uh, Radiant... Dawn uh, would both be cool uh, to, to see coming over to Switch. A lot. a lot. There, there's a lot here. But let us know your favorites that we didn't mention. Um, write into us, Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com. That is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any place where you can type in the words Nintendo Cartridge Society and get our podcast. If you like the episode, please share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you can share anything. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell. And the show is at Nin Cart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by 8 You can get more of his music by going to 8 or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire. <laughs>